Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Uh, We want to uh, turn our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke chapter 15. This is one of the precious jewels in the gospel account, this chapter. It is a chapter of three parables, three stories that Jesus told, three illustrations that he used to tell us what the kingdom of God is like. We're going to put our attention and our focus on the third of the three, perhaps the most important of the three, the most useful of the three. And so we're going to look at that in just a moment. Maybe you heard the story about uh, the patient who went in to see his doctor. The doctor told him, sir, you are in terrible condition. You need to do something about this. First of all, you must tell your wife that she needs to be a better cook because the meals don't have enough nutrition in them. She needs to cook more nutritious meals. He told him, you have to stop working like a dog and take a few days off. Also, you're going to need to tell your wife that your family's going to have to go on a budget and she's going to have to stick to it. You're going to have to keep the kids off your back so that you can relax and recover. And unless that these changes will happen in your life, you'll probably die in a month. The man replied to the doctor and said, I don't know if my wife will receive all those instructions if I give them to her. You better call her before I get there to let her know. And when this poor guy got home, his wife rushed him and said, I've talked to your doctor. You poor man, you've only got 30 days to live. How many know this morning, change can be a frightening thing. Newton's first law of motion was that an object at rest tends to stay at rest. And unless it is compelled to change by forces on the outside, many times things will always stay the same. Now it is at this moment, as we are facing the end of 2018 and starting a new year, something about this time of year inspires people to try to change things about themselves. That's why we have the phenomenon of New Year's resolutions. And we make promises to ourselves and we resolve and we we say, I need to do a few things better in my life. Here's a little breakdown of most common resolutions. 53% make a resolution to save more money. 45% make a resolution to lose weight or get in shape. 25% make a resolution to have more sex. 
24% say they want to travel more. 23% want to read more books. 22% learn a new skill or hobby. 20% buy a house. Something about New Year's makes us want to make resolutions. The problem is change is hard. <laughs> and in most cases, resolutions don't work. I picked up this article that was from February of 2018 talking about New Year's resolutions. It says, come the 1st of January, the hordes of enthusiastic resolutioners account for the swelling number of gym memberships, yoga books fly off the shelves, and by the second week of February, that's only six weeks in, think of this, 80% of those who have made resolutions are back at home with a new kind of remorse staring at them in the mirror. It's called the remorse of disappointment. And why is it that we have such good intentions, things I need to change, I need to manage my time better, I need to be better with money, I need to be better with my family and my wife and my children, I need to eat less calories. And why is it that with so many good intentions at the beginning of a year like this, that, we, that true change seems so elusive? I want to give you this morning the biblical recipe for change. Because truly, what we desperately need in this life is to change. There is only one in all the universe who does not change, and that is God. The truth about you is that you are either changing for the better or you're changing for the worse. You are either getting closer to God or you are getting further away from Him. I told somebody the other day that living for God is like riding a bicycle uphill. And if for a moment you stop to pedal, you know what happens. Not only. need more than just our um, New Year's resolutions. What we need is a recipe for real change, and that's what the Bible gives us here in Luke chapter 15. I'd like you to join me in uh, verse number 11, the parable of the prodigal son. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, this is so critical, church, that you get this. When he came to himself, some, some translations say, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of the father's hired servants have bread enough 
and despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is a recipe for real change this morning. Let's bow our heads for a moment as we pray. Father, we come. By the blood of Jesus, I'm so grateful that you brought your people here for this moment, Lord, that you would be able to speak to them. Break through, God. Break through the the monotony of our lives. Break through, God. In this year of 2018, we've gotten into a rut. We've gotten into a pattern of behavior. Some of your people are here with addictions that are hidden in sin. I'm praying, Lord, that this morning you would give us the recipe for how to truly see a breakthrough and a change, a deliverance in our lives. I'm praying that from your scripture we would gain, Lord, the strength and the confidence, Lord, the grace from you to be able to see our lives changed. And we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, Amen. This is the recipe for change. And I want to begin by reminding you that there are two versions of you. There's the version that God wants you to be. In other words, the version that you should be. And then there's the person that you really are. (laughs) There is always this separation in us between who I need to be and who I am right now. And I just want to ask you, what, is, what are the things that are different? If you could make a list of, let's say, five things that you could change instantly about yourself. I would challenge you to begin thinking about that. God, if there was five things that I could instantly change about myself, what would those things be? And as you ponder that, I would ask you this question. What has been stopping you from changing those things? What is it that keeps you, the person that you are, from becoming the person that you should be? And may I make a suggestion to you this morning? The reason that we are not the person that we want to be is a one-word answer that we don't often think. It is the problem of sin. Now, that sin may be revealed in many different ways. For some people, it's the sin of laziness, simply just too lazy to even try. For some people, it is the sin of pride. I don't really think I have a problem, so why should I deal with it? For some people, it's the sin of of jealousy. Um, I don't need to be like that. But whatever the reason is, I believe the simple answer that keeps us from becoming the person that we should be is the problem of sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what keeps us not only from the presence of a holy God, but it keeps us from becoming the person that you need to be, right? Still with me this morning? That's why we see in our scripture, we see a son. The Bible speaks about a a certain man who had two sons, and the younger of his sons came to him one day and said, give me my inheritance. Now, this is a familiar story to most of you, but I believe if you look at it closely again today, you will be inspired. I believe that this son, this younger of two sons, had incredible potential. That the father had spent his time, he had spent his energy, 
preparing a livelihood, an inheritance for his son. This is what good parents do, right? They work hard so that their children can live better than they have lived. And this is what this father had in mind for his son. And when his son, one day, something got kinked in his heart, maybe he uh, thought that he knew better than his father. I know there's no teenagers who do that anymore. But it's a certain problem with some people who say, yeah, I think I know how to spend my inheritance better than you do, Dad. And this was a major slap in the face, if you understand the culture of the day. What would happen in those days is this father would work his entire life to build an inheritance. It would be land. It would be possessions. It would be a lifestyle. It would be equipment. It would be animals, all of these things. And the inheritance was designed to be given after the father's death. That's what an inheritance is. And so this inheritance would be stored up and and kept away from the sons until the time that the father passed into eternity. Then it would be given to to the next generation. That's why the firstborn and the secondborn in the Jewish tradition, firstborn always gets a double portion and then the rest is split among the other children. So what this son is saying to him, he is saying, I want my inheritance now. I want it now before the time of your death has come. It was a slap in the face because he's basically saying to his father, you are dead to me. And so all I want, the only help that you could help me with, dad, is you should give me that money, that inheritance that I deserve. What's amazing to me is that the father did not refuse him in the scripture. The father in this parable responded to that demand and gave him that inheritance. Verse 12, again, the younger said, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. That word livelihood is so much more than a paycheck. It is a way of life. And look at what he does with his now. Now, I know that we like to paint these things. We like to make them look nice. Uh, Dad, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that, it, that inheritance. I'm going to make an investment. I'm going to start a new business. Uh, don't worry. I'll take care of it. I've got a plan in place. I've got a, I've got a business plan. I've talked to some financial counselors. I'm going to put it in a 401K. But that's not what he does, is it? He takes that inheritance and in verse uh, 13, it says that he took all together, he journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal. Another word is riotous living. Now, this is where we find the picture of the life of sin. This is all a huge illustration this morning, and it gets, shows us very well the lives that we live apart from God. You following me this morning? All of us have received an inheritance from God. You know what that is? It's your life. Every moment that you live, breathe, your heart is beating. Did you know you you didn't cause that? You didn't start that. You're not smart enough to figure that out. Somebody gave you life, an incredible inheritance. Somebody, our Father in heaven, gave you another chance to live today. You didn't wake up dead this morning. You have another chance to live another day. What a gift that is from God. There's a lot of people that wish they could be sitting next to you in service today. There's a lot of people that wish they could be as healthy as you are today. 
There's a lot of people who wish that they had eyesight in both their eyes like you do. And, ear, and, and you're able to hear, but they're not. God has given you an incredible gift that he has held back from many people. Have you ever thought about that? The question is, what do we do with that gift? The pre-programmed way of life, how many know, is the life of sin. We come into this world knowing very well how to sin. You don't have to train a child how to steal, how to lie. You can make them better at it, but you probably shouldn't do that. They already know. Even a two-year-old can look at you in the face with chocolate smeared all over from head to toe. Did you eat the cookie? No. (laughs) You know it's true. We are pre-programmed and predisposed to our sinful behavior. And this, I want to tell you, this is the reason that you are not the person that you want to be. Somewhere there is a sin that is holding you back from becoming the person that God wanted you to be. And so, what we see, the first part of this recipe for real change. See, what this guy needed, he did not need a... a, you know, a new, a new habit in his life. What he desperately needed was a transformation. He was in a faraway place. This speaks about distance. He journeyed to a far country. There was now distance between him, him and the father. It wasn't like today. He didn't have a smartphone. He could FaceTime with dad. He was far away. There was distance. The only way to communicate was through a letter. That would take weeks. And so now there's distance. Can I tell you this morning, sin always causes distance. Causes distance between you and God. Causes distance between you and people that you care about. It also causes distance between you and the person that you know you should be. We get further away. And as we start sliding back on that bicycle down the hill, we say, I'm supposed to be up there by now. I'm supposed to be further along by now. But I'm not. The problem is always sin. And also it says that when we find ourselves living in this way, we waste what God had for us. This always produces not only distance but hunger. So I'm going to give you four things that are necessary for change this morning. They all start with the letter H, just so they're easy to remember. Are you ready for this? The first one is hunger. Everybody say hunger. Hunger. You know what it's like to feel hunger, right? Now, I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you that every person here who wanted to change actually ended up changing. But the truth is, very few actually follow through, right? We said 80% of New Year's resolutions are broken within six weeks. This is what we see in this young man, verse 14, when he had spent all... There arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. I remember, uh, how many remember uh, evangelist Marty Carnegie? What an incredible preacher he is. Uh, But he told a story about how he was preaching revival in a church somewhere. He just got done uh, uh, preaching, and he's sitting there on on the platform, uh, and people are coming to, to thank him and ask him some questions, and a woman comes to him. And she says, she says, Pastor Carnegie, I've been smoking for 25 years. 
and I know I need to quit. God has spoken to me that I'm supposed to quit. I know that it's destroying my body and I need to quit. And he told her so many times, I need, I need, I need to quit. And so he says, okay, I'm going to pray for you, but let me ask you something. Do you want to quit? And you know what she said? No, I don't want to quit. Oh, this is so good. So many things about yourself that you know you need a change. You know you need something new. You know you need to drop off that habit from your life. You know you need to start reading your Bible more. Right? We, have, we know that we have these needs. The problem is we don't want to. And so he preached a whole sermon after that. The sermon was titled, You Gotta Want What You Need. Oh, if you would catch that this morning, you got to want what you need. This man came to a moment where he was desperate. He began to hunger. It, where it was more than just external. Where the need of his life began to affect his own body, his own mind, his own consequence. See, so often when we don't feel a major consequence to our sins, we aren't motivated to change. I mean, it would be a lot easier if every time you sinned that God would strike you with a lightning bolt, like zap you, just like that, you know, like, like taser, bam, so that you know, okay, I stepped across the line. I'm not going to do that anymore. But see, God is not, he, he's not a communist, okay? God is not like that. He's a gracious and a good father, and sometimes he allows us grace and mercy. Hopefully, we can figure out how to change without his help, but so often we come to this point of hunger our sin, and our bad behavior, our bad choices lead us to a moment where our spirit is hungry. And for the first time, you know, it's been, it's been okay. He got his inheritance. It was a party. It was a riot. It was a prodigal living. All the people were there having a good time as long as he had money. But when the money ran out, so did the party, so did the friends, and he began to feel a little rumbly in his little tumbly. And then it started getting real. And then he started thinking about everything that had come up to that point. What about you this morning? Does it require for God to remove his blessing from you in order for you to have a true change? Sometimes it is. Sometimes there are things in your life that are so ingrained that are so programmed into your daily life that the only way you'll ever change is for God to remove his blessing off of it and say, let's see what happens when I step away for a moment. This is what had to happen with the prodigal son. This is how, how the Bible speaks about the Lord chastens you. Chastening. It's another word for correction. Nobody likes to be corrected. Let me see your hand if you like to be corrected. Nobody likes to be, oh, Ramon, okay. Ramon, let me, uh, I got a few things to say to you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nobody enjoys correction. Nobody enjoys chastening. This is what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. You don't see that one quilted on a pillow, do you? He scourges every son whom he receives. 
But here's the, here's the good news this morning. If you are feeling the correction of God, if you are feeling the hunger in your life for change, it's a good sign. It means that you are a son or a daughter. Because God does not deal with people who are not his. You're in his family, and that means he needs to correct you. That's why the Bible says, you know, uh, that we need to correct our children. Parents in this place, we need to correct them when they're young. We need to administer discipline and rebuke them. I'm not saying be a jerk to them. I'm saying correct them when they need correction. Because if you don't, then the police will have to later. This is a sign that you care about your children, that you love them, that you need to correct them. This is the true with God. And sometimes there are things in your life where God has to remove his hand, and that's the way that he chastens us and disciplines David when he sinned. And can I tell you, if, if you find yourself in need of change, if you find yourself having some things in common with the prodigal son, and we all should, there's something in your life that needs to change. You're in good company this morning. Because even King David, who was a man after God's own heart, who was a great hero of the faith, who'd done great things for God, and yet found himself slipping down the hill, found himself committing grievous sins against God, murder, adultery, all manner of wickedness. And when he did, this was the prayer that he prayed in Psalm 53, He said, God, don't remove your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know what he was experiencing? The hunger. He was feeling that separation from God. He was feeling what it felt like that God's hand had been removed off of him. And he says, oh, this is not good. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me. And so the first thing that you've got to have, if you really want to change this morning, you've got to have the hunger. You've got to feel the separation. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasures and shouts to us in our afflictions. Now let me say right here that it is critical what you do in this moment. So in the story that we read, the prodigal son, he felt this hunger. And as he's feeling this hunger, he could have done something else. You know what he could have done? And you know what I've seen people do? I've seen them begin to make excuses. I've seen them begin to defend their own stupid behavior. Oh, well, dad doesn't like me anyway. Oh, you know the reason why I'm here? It's actually because all of those other people who are partying with me, it's their fault that I'm here being feeling so hungry he could have said to himself oh it's it's just it's just the way that i am no nothing could ever change i've seen people begin to point the finger of blame and when they're feeling the pain of hunger oh it's the government's fault they're not giving me enough social security whatever i've seen people point the finger at parents point the finger at a pastor point the finger at church oh it's the church It's because of those people. They don't have any love. Pastor didn't shake my hand. And begin to point the finger of blame. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. It's, and you know who's never at fault? It's never my fault. And so this is where we see the second H. It is honesty. 
if you're going to change, you're going to need to be honest this morning. Look at verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. This phrase, when he came to himself, again, other translations say, when he came to his senses, when he got his mind right. Do you know what the real problem with this? It's, it's not everybody is a sinner, right? We have all sinned and fallen short. We know what that's all about. The, pro, the real problem is there's very few people who are honest about it, who really look at themselves and say, you know what? I am a sinner. That's hard to do. It's easy for us to point at that person or those, those people or the way they're living. I can see, ooh, yucky, you're a sinner. It's easy for us to do that. But it's very, very hard for us to be honest about what's happening inside of here. If this man is going to change, if he is going to get up out of the pig slop, he's going to have to be honest. He's going to have to look at his decisions and to see the reason why he is there today is not because of his father's bad decision. It's not because of his older brother. It's not because of the people that he was partying with. He says, I have to be honest. It's because of me. It's because of me. It's one of the most difficult things that you're ever going to have to do is to say, I'm the problem. Can I tell you something? Pastor Campbell, who is my spiritual father and my pastor ever since I've been saved, he, he used to teach us as disciples. He used, to, he used to force us to say it out of our own mouths. He say, say it like this, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. <laughs> say it again. I'm the problem. It's me. It's my fault. And I was terrible because I was like trying to pin, trying to nail jello to the wall. I had an excuse for everything. Pastor, it's because of this guy's that. And truth, there was truth in it that it wasn't completely my fault, but he was trying to show me something. It was my fault. We have a position in the Chandler Church called the door director. That door director position is designed to make a man fail. It is designed, give this guy so much responsibility and make him responsible for so much that he's going to fail no matter how hot and slick he is. And that's exactly what happened. And in that position, Pastor Campbell showed me the gift of being able to be honest. I'm the problem. It's me. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. God, it's not even your fault. It's because of me. Can you still say that? Can I tell you that's the only way you get into the kingdom of God? That's what repentance is? That's the only way. Listen, you don't have to pay $20 to come to the church service this morning. Aren't you glad? You did, there's no bouncer at the door, although Patrick could pass for one. Anybody and everybody can come into the kingdom, but the only way, the only person, the only people who are going to gain access to heaven it's people who can do this right here. I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. That's called honesty. Now you can continue to lie to yourself if you want to. But it's not going to help you. The 
problem is that when we live in sin, we, we have this unlimited ability to defend ourselves in our pitiful situations. Have you ever seen somebody, they make a bad decision? And then you talk to them, you say, uh, how's it working out? Oh, great, it's good. Everything's fine, pastor. And then you, well, it's happened to me, maybe not to you, but this happens to me all the time. People made a bad decision. So how's that working out for you? Oh, it's good, wonderful. Everything's fine, good. Sunshine every day. And you know what that is? That's dishonesty. It's simply an inability to be honest about what's really happening. Defending the indefensible. And the reason that we have to do that, the reason we have to defend bad decisions is because otherwise we become schizophrenic. And so so many people that rather than going insane in their mind and saying it was a good thing that I made a bad decision, that's craziness. What we do is we make excuses, we cover it up, and we lie to ourselves. This guy, he could have said, ah, living in the slop is not so bad. Eating with the pigs, ah, everybody does that. No big deal. No, not everybody eats the pig slop, bro. No, there is a better life for you. If he's going to get out of the pig slop, he simply has to be honest. Okay. So first, we have to feel the hunger. Second, we need to be honest. Thirdly, oh, it's getting harder, but it'll get better before the end, I promise. Humility. Look at his prayer. As he thinks about and as he's preparing this return trip to the Father, he makes this connection in his mind. He's saying to himself, he says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and here I am perishing with hunger. He makes a, he makes a, a connection that even, even the hired servants, even those guys, they have it better than me. And as he makes that connection, he says to himself, You know, it's a good thing sometimes to talk to yourself. It's okay. It's all right. Especially when you start making sense. And he's planning in his mind. He says to himself in the scripture, verse uh, verse 18, I will arise, I will go to my father, and here's what I'll say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. How different than when the story started. How different than when he came into his father's presence the first time and said, I demand what is rightfully mine. There's a big difference this morning between those who make demands for what they perceive and what they believe they are entitled to. We are in an entitlement generation where we are very aware of what we perceive to be our rights. And yet, people who are always making demands are very seldom happy. The difference we see in this man is that he has become humble. He has become humble. He comes to his father being honest about his situation. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'll be happy 
just to work like one of these hired servants because even they are better off than I am right now. If you're going to find real change in 2019, if you're going to see a true transformation in your life, it's going to require this, humility. And you know what part of humility is? Part of humility is reaching out for help. Is realizing that you don't have the resources, you don't have the strength, you don't have the smarts to do it on your own. You're going to need to cry out to God. And you're going to need to cry out to other people who care about you. Humility, in, in, in the book of James, it says, let us confess our sins one to another. This is a generation where we want the anonymous church service, right? Where I can go in and slip out and nobody knows my name. I'm like a ghost. Like I wasn't even there. But the church is a resource. It was designed by God to be a resource for us to help one another to overcome our sins. Can I tell you, I'm not perfect yet. And I need your help. There are still sins in your life and in mine that we have to confess to one another if we're going to find healing. Yes, we have to come to the altar and confess to God, but so many of our attempts at righteousness and attempts at change start and end there. We keep it to ourselves. What that is, that's pride. That's pride to think that I can do it all on my own. If you really want to change, you need to tell a brother, tell a sister. Keep me accountable. Keep me humble. Thank God for friendships and for relationships in the kingdom. This is why marriage is such a blessing. Marriage is a blessing because when you have two people who are watching each other all the time, there are some things about you, single man or single woman, that, that, that God is he's not able to work out of you until marriage happens. And you realize how selfish I am. And then you have children, and you got little people, little mouths and little hands depending on you, and you realize again, oh, gosh, I'm selfish. Right? And we need that. We need that to improve, to get better, and to change. And we're going to close this morning and talk about hope. Look at verse 18. I will arise. I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven, and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, I just want to ask you, before we close, think about this. If you were the father in this story, and you had a son that said, give me my inheritance, pop, and you gave out your inheritance to him, Maybe it's $20,000. And he runs off to Las Vegas and wastes it on the poker table and with the prostitutes. And he finds himself in the gutter with a needle hanging out of his vein. And then in that situation, he says, oh, I've been really stupid. And he shows back up on your door. How would you feel? What would you do? Dad, I don't even want to be called your son anymore. All I want is just a little help so I can put something in my belly 
He's been humbled. He's been changed. Now, if you're a good father, maybe I'm not a good father because I think about that and I think, get out of here, bro. You made a mess. You made your bed. Go lie in it. You know, that's kind of natural reaction. Not my problem anymore. Go live with the consequence of your sin. But let me give you the hope of the gospel today. Because God is not like me. And God is not like you. God is a good father. And look at what we see, the reaction of this father. Verse 20. And when he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can you imagine? Conversation hasn't even happened yet. Hasn't even had a chance to tell him how sorry he was. Hasn't even had a chance to tell him all the inheritance is wasted, Dad. Here he is. Dad sees him. You know what it tells me? It says Dad's been looking at the horizon. I don't think they had binoculars back then. But if he did, he'd be looking. He'd be looking at the horizon. Where's my son? Where's my... And there, he sees him coming from a far distance. And dad gets out of his chair and goes down the road. He finds him and embraces him. While he was still a great way off. This is the hope of the gospel. This shows us with greater accuracy the heart of God. And let me tell you this this morning. If, you, if you're able to do these things, if you're able to feel the hunger, the consequence of your sin, you'll be able to be honest and humble yourself, then that's why, that's where we will find the hope for change. When you take that step toward God, is there maybe even a chance that God would show any kind of mercy toward me? You take that one step, and the Bible says God will come running. The good Father who is there, he's been waiting for you the whole time. He's been there waiting for you, hoping, wishing, and waiting for your return. And he's here this morning. That's the hope of the gospel. That God loves sinners. Can you imagine that? He cares for the prodigal, for the lost one, for those who have messed up and made mistakes. That's you and me. The son, he begins to try to explain, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I read one translation of this story, and verse 22 said, but the father wasn't listening to him. The father said to his servants, hurry, bring the robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. He says, get this boy dressed up. We're about to have a party. We're about to celebrate, kill the fatted calf, bring him in. We're having steak dinner tonight because my son who was lost has now been found. Can I tell you the inheritance never came back? The money that was wasted in Las Vegas, it still belongs to a casino. He didn't come with money in his pockets to repay. He didn't have anything to offer except his own life. Can I tell you, as we come in this place before a holy God, there's very little that you have that you can offer to God. 
What do you have that God doesn't have? The only thing this morning that God is interested in is having a restored relationship with you. A God who loves sinners. And when you experience that restored relationship with the Father, I want to tell you, there's nothing in this life that can change you more quickly than that relationship right there. There are testimonies in this church building this morning of changed lives. Do you know how that change happened? Through the gospel. The good news of a loving Savior who brought you into relationship with a good father. And when you're back in the father's house, I want to guarantee he wasn't eating pig slop anymore. Back in the father's house, life was very different than in the far country. And so I, I ask you this morning, I challenge you, what is it about yourself that you need to change? Do you realize that you can't do it on your own strength? Do you realize this morning that you can't just manipulate your own life? Have you felt the hunger of moral change? This is the opportunity today. Don't think you can just pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. What you need today is to be in the presence of the Father. And to do that, you've got to be honest and humble. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Close our eyes. This is the true message of the gospel. The gospel, that word, it simply means good news. Good news. In a world that's full of bad news, this is news that can change your life. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.